Hey, it's your host, Johnny D. And this is Brent. Just wanted to share some big news with you guys. The Climb Show Music Business Podcast is now a part of the American Songwriter Podcast Network. That's right. We're really excited to be part of this network along with some other amazing podcasts. Right, so make sure you check it out at americansongwriter.com forward slash podcast or click the link in the episode notes to listen to some of the best shows in music. That's right. Hey, Johnny, do your thing. Yes. Welcome to the tribe. This is a show dedicated to helping singers, songwriters, and indie artists like you create leverage in the music business. Leverage is what you're going to need to make the moves that you need to make in the music industry today. It's not about the raw talent being discovered and refined. You have to have that all taken care of and have some business behind you. You've got to prove to them that your art, whether you're a songwriter, an indie artist, a singer, that your art has value, and then they're going to come to you. How do you get that leverage? That's why we called this the CLIMB, C-L-I-M-B, Creating Leverage in the Music Business. That's a Baxteronym, and it's brilliant, and it's created by my co-host and good friend, Mr. Brent Baxter. Brent's an award-winning hit songwriter with cuts by Alan Jackson, Randy Travis, Lady Antebellum, Joe Nichols, and more. He also helps songwriters like you turn pro by revealing how you can write like a pro, do business like a pro, and on the regular, he connects you with the pros. So you can find Brent Real easy, if that sounds good to you, at songwritingpro.com. Once again, songwritingpro.com. And I would like to introduce you to my co-host, Johnny Dwinell. Johnny owns Daredevil Production. They're breaking artists digitally by identifying new fans through data. If you're an artist looking to increase your streams, blow up your video views, sell more live show tickets, and get discovered by new fans, TV, and music industry pros, then Daredevil Production can help. Daredevil has worked with multi-platinum artists like Colin Ray, Tracy Lawrence, Ty Herndon, and Andy Griggs, just to name a few. You can find Johnny at DaredevilProduction.com. That is production singular. No S and there is no S because there is no other. Johnny D. How you doing, buddy? Man, I'm doing all right. I'm, you know, at the time of this recording, I'm about to head out for the weekend, do a little boys retreat, a little fishing, and I probably won't catch anything, but looking forward to getting out of the house for a bit. What kind of fishing are you going to go do? Trout fishing on the White River in Baxter County, Arkansas. Wow. I love that. Bam. I love trout. I love cooking me up some trout. That's for mm-hmm. sure. They got some world class trout fishing on the White River and river I grew uh-huh. up on in my hometown. And uh, we're gonna meet some of the guys, Matt Klein and some other fellas, and I don't know, stand around and drown some worms. Good. I hope somebody's bringing some beer, whiskey too. I, I think we're supposed <laughs> to do a crawfish boil or something. I'm looking forward to that. Well, that'll work. That goes good with beer. Everything goes good with crawfish. <laughs> That's right. You thinking crawfish? I'm thinking beer. Okay. There they go. Well, today we are going to talk about something I've been working up here for a couple of weeks, something I've been thinking about, and I want to share with you guys. The title of this episode is The Single is Dead, mm-hmm. and I Don't Want Your Money. Both of those are surprising, Johnny, because everybody wants a single and everybody wants money. I know. So that should hopefully get your head scratching for a little bit. But before you do that, let's take care of a little business here. Make sure you join the Climb community if you haven't done so. It's a growing community. People asking questions. It's indie artists, singers, songwriters. It's musicians. Everybody trying to get their head around how to position themselves on what to do in the new music business. And this is a great place to go and get some answers. You're not just shouting into a wall. We're Real proud of this, guys. Just be good little boys and girls. And we promise there's plenty of places 
that we have on the regular for you to shine. Don't come in and spray and pray, and you're going to get along with everybody just fine, right? That's right. We also celebrate each other's wins in the climb community, and I just want to highlight one of those. Every Wednesday, we have uh, new heights post, and you're welcome to share your successes, big and small. We love them all under that post, and I just want to highlight Randy England. He's a climber, longtime climber. Yeah. And his win is he has more natural rounds booked. So he's playing out and he's booking rounds. And I actually ran into Randy just the other night on a jam session that we do every month over at Songwriting Pro. And he's active over there and asking questions and engaged. And so it's good to see Randy out there working it and climbing. Heck yeah. Is he a Nashvillian? A Nashvillian? Sorry, not a Nashvillian. That's a band. <laughs> That's a band now. I know. He is a Nashvillian. He lives in Nashville and is playing out and doing the deal. I see his face everywhere uh-huh. in the climb and in songwriting pro and everything. And I don't think that we've met yet though. So if we have, I'm completely embarrassed now. I shouldn't have said that, but um, <laughs> <laughs> we'll just need to edit that out. I'm looking forward to meeting you again, like 51st dates, Randy. <laughs> That's one thing I've learned in the music business. I don't ever say anymore like, Hey, really nice to meet you. Cause there are times I've met people more than once and you know, I don't want to, hurt their feelings or whatever because of my problems with remembering people it's not them it's me yeah so i'm just always like good to see you man yeah it's something i picked up along the way like man good to see you it's impossible deniability exactly i'm just leaving that open to interpretation i'm happy and it's good to see you whether this is the first time or the fourth and i just don't remember the others so that's a little extra value bomb I picked that up at an early age on tour. You've got to have those kind of protection tools. Oh, I've met 5,000 fans in the last three months, and you met me two months ago. And It's a lot. You remember it, which is awesome. It's a lot. It doesn't have anything to do with the other person. It just has to do with the situation and what could be happening like right then and there in that minute. You don't know what kind of day you had. You might not be firing on all pistons and if they catch you off guard or whatever, mm-hmm. but you just don't want to offend anybody. Exactly. Good. So join the cloud community. You have to ask to be let in. We let everybody in, but you got to ask and subscribe to the podcast wherever you like to consume your podcasts. We want you to leave a rating review. We're trying to get to 200. Mm -hmm. It take about 30 seconds. We hope it's a five star, but we read them all on the air. So even the crappiest ones we have read (laughs) with pride. (laughs) And we've got a couple crappy ones. (laughs) Yes, we have. Thankfully, not very many. We have one. One star review. So, <laughs> That's right. but we had another two star review, right? We have one one star, one two star. There we go. But like 155 stars, and so we're really thankful for those. And we have a new five star review. I can, I know what our stats are because I'm looking at it right now because we have a new review that I want to read. Nice. Oh, do yes. It. This is from Sunday Joe. Sunday Joe is another climber, obviously a member of Songwriting Pro, and so ran into her at the jam session the other night as well. So, hey, Sunday, this is a five star review. Title Awesome Sauce says, I found this podcast a couple months ago and I absolutely love it. I have learned so much from every episode. If you're wanting to learn how to be a better songwriter, how to work in the music business, or just be inspired to keep pushing forward when things get hard, this is definitely the perfect podcast. Johnny and Brent are awesome. So, Sunday, you're awesome too. Love that. Thank you. Last thing is tell a friend about it. That's the best way to kind of spread the news, if you know what I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. All the young dudes, they got the news. So, hey, real quick, before I get started on this road, I had a big value bomb, a value bomb slash musical challenge that I'm going to reveal at the end of this episode, okay, that I just hinted about this a couple episodes ago. And since then, I haven't been able to stop thinking about it. And, man, I'm going to bequeath this to you, and I want to hear back on who's 
going to take advantage of it, okay? I'm curious. So the single is officially dead. I don't want your money. What does that mean? What am I talking about? Right. Well, what I'm about to tell you here, the reason I'm bringing this up is because I had another one the week before and another one the week before that. Same conversation, right? Mm -hmm. So it's prevalent. It's understandable. I know exactly why I'm having this conversation, which puts me ahead of a lot of other people trying to compete with what I'm trying to do in mm-hmm. helping artists. I don't want this to come off sounding negative towards these artists or anything like that, because this is just what they know. Right. Mm-hmm. And we go with what we know. So, I mean, imagine there's just quick precursor. You've grown up with English your whole life and then you've got to move to some place, let's say Taiwan, mm-hmm. and you don't know Taiwanese. Well, it's going to be real frustrating for a little while, right? Because all you know is English. And so how to get your head around another language and how to speak that and the culture that goes with it, right? The Mm -hmm. things that are colloquialisms and sort of funny in an English speaking country, if you don't have a grasp on that, even if you know the language, it could be a mess in another Mm -hmm. country, right? Yeah. And vice versa. So it's culture shock is what we're dealing with. But this artist came to me and She's getting ready to release. She wants to work with me. We've talked a couple months ago, and then she came back around, and she had some more questions, and I know who she's working with. It was a referral that came from a really dear friend of mine who knows exactly how to make the donuts, so I know this artist is going to be killer, right? Mm -hmm. She came to me, and she's like, well, we're thinking about promoting a single, and I said, okay, and I just kind of listened to her explain what she's trying to do, and she's trying to find her way. You know, She's trying to figure out how to do this, and you can tell there's... A little bit of frustration, maybe, mm-hmm. because all of a sudden the plan that used to work doesn't work anymore. But right. yet they still trying to beat their head against the wall on mm-hmm. that. And so the conversation that we basically had was, look, if you just want to do this single, then honestly, I don't even want to take your money. Oh, so she's talking about maybe hiring you just like I got a single I want to put out. I help, need help promoting it. Yeah. You on board. That's where it started out. It's changed now. But you see, you have to be careful because if you look at this from like a shady place, it sounds like I'm trying to get more work, right? (laughs) Yeah, I guess so. That's not really the case. Brent, you know, like I owe you about three phone calls, I'm pretty sure, in the last four days. (laughs) And I am aware of this because we are up to our armpits and alligators. We're so busy. Mm -hmm. But when people are trying to release a single on digital – Or even, let's say, release a single in today's music industry, even if they try to go to radio. They're comparing it to the way that whole process, that whole strategy would work 20 years ago, and then they're bound to be disappointed. And so we're going to kind of break that out and talk about how to think about it differently and what you need to do to think about it differently and really what you need to focus on. you got to stop focusing on the single. It's not about Mm -hmm. the single anymore. It's not The single is gone and dead and over, and it got run over by traffic. (laughs) Yeah. Your single was run over by traffic. And what do I mean by that? Well, let's just talk about the comparison of of the two. The other thing that's exacerbating this for me is that we've taken on a whole boatload of corporate clients that are in the insurance world. And they're, as strange as this sounds, in the exact same position. They're used to doing live seminars and talking to the people, and then they're trying to pivot to digital. But what are they doing? They're applying everything that they know, understandably. Mm -hmm. What else are you going to apply? Right. To the digital thing, and then they're expecting the same results, and it just doesn't work like that. There's a lot of pieces in the puzzle that are different, and if you don't get it, 
and you don't understand the animal and you don't honor the platform, then you're not going to ever adapt, Mm -hmm. right? Until you understand this, what we're going to share today, you're not going to be able to adapt. So let's talk about the old way that a single used to be promoted. All right. This is back in the day when there's only two ways to listen to music. You listen to what you owned, the Mm -hmm. CDs you bought or the records you bought, or you listen to the radio. Mm -hmm. The first single would come out and largely, even from a record label perspective, it would be, let's see what the first single does, right? And then if it does good enough, we'll open up the purse strings and maybe go to a second single. And Mm -hmm. we have one hit wonders, Mm -hmm. big, huge one hit songs where the first single did really well. And then it just kind of disappeared from there. And by the way, think about that for a second. Like the one hit wonders, if I say that, you know, 99.9% of the time you're thinking of a song. Oh, yeah. Not an artist. Yeah, that's kind of the whole point. Yeah. Did you catch that, though? Not an artist. You don't Mm -hmm. know who the artist is because you didn't have enough time to make a relationship with the artist. You made a relationship with the song. Mm -hmm. And it takes a few more singles to kind of get you copped onto an artist. Who did Hey Macarena? Yeah, exactly. Who did Who Let the Dogs Out? Yeah, there you go. I can tell you who did I'm Too Sexy. I don't know why. <laughs> right said Fred, right? Yes, I know that one. But who did Macarena? I don't know. The general public knows the song and not the artist on a one-hit wonder. But the first single comes out. They wait to see how it goes. Hopefully the second single comes out. And that's the way they try to build that. So what happens behind the scenes on a single release? You've got... Promoters that are trying to promote the single, but think about what promoters do. It's like playing Tetris. Remember the game Tetris, Brent? Oh, yeah, yeah. You're trying to get the blocks to fit in a certain way while more blocks are coming. Right, and what happens if you get behind? The blocks start stacking up, the lines of blocks don't go away, and eventually you hit the top and... Yeah, then you're out, right? Because it's mathematically restrictive. Right, right? you run out of space for new blocks to come in. That's what I mean by these promoters are playing Tetris because they have relationships with these program directors at all these different stations. But each station has a finite playlist of 12 songs per hour. Mm -hmm. And before a new song can go on, it doesn't matter if it's the brand new single from the biggest artist on the face of the planet. Because they're going to put it on the playlist, right? Oh, yeah. There's still one thing in the law of physics that has to happen before that new single can be put on a playlist. And what's that? Somebody got to come off the playlist. Somebody's got to come off the playlist. So that's what I mean by Tetris, right? So they're trying to punch, 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 punch. Hey, don't forget, I got this guy here. I got this guy here. I got this guy here. Let's put him on. Let's put her on. Let's do this. Let's do that. And that's how you're trying to finagle your way onto a playlist so that you can get the exposure that you need, right? Mm -hmm. And you're going to do radio tour to try to facilitate that a little bit more. This is where mm-hmm. an artist is going to travel all around. It's grueling, right? You're doing the morning show in one city, the lunch afternoon show in another city, and then the drive at five in another city. And so it's its own tour. And all you're doing is going around and kissing hands and shaking babies with right. program directors to try to get them to like you. So it's all about the program directors. They're the gatekeeper that decides whether or not you get to tap into that audience. Mm-hmm. And smart artists would treat program directors like gods. Yeah. We talked about that one artist who had the podcast. One time they wanted to go bowling. Well, she's like, I went bowling. <laughs> <laughs> right, yeah. Whatever it takes, right? Yeah. And how long would a single last? Usually about six months. Yeah, something like that, yeah. 
there's some slow climbers in there. There's a handful of stories for mm. sure of singles that the radio kept promoting, kept paying to promote it because they kept seeing signs of life. And for whatever reason, the Tetris game was working against them, mm-hmm. right? They were having problems getting on a certain station here and there. Sometimes that's because it's a mathematical thing. It's not an artistic thing. It's not because they didn't like the song or whatever, but because all these other artists that are have a bigger brand name than this particular brand new artist or whatever, they're going to get the space quicker than somebody else. Yeah, they keep getting bumped back to the back of the line. But then what would delay that? When the Tetris did work for a certain market and a certain station, it would come on, all of a sudden the phones would light up. People like, oh my God, we love this. And so they're like, this still needs a chance. We're yeah. still going to work it. Every time we do get on a station, it turns heads, it makes a reaction. So we're going to keep pounding this into submission until enough stations pick it up and we can create some momentum. Mm-hmm. That's kind of the way that would work. You get enough spins in a certain market and you start selling some records. And the better markets you have, it's going to boost ticket sales. Mm-hmm. And then you do like a PR campaign as well, right? Mm-hmm. A press releases, TV, magazines, etc. But the whole time that you're doing TV, that you're doing, and think about what I mean by TV, your luck. When artists come out with a new record, have you ever noticed they're on like every late night show, right? Mm-hmm. And if you know where the shows are shot, you can predict that, oh, so they're on David Letterman when David Letterman was still doing The Late Show. Yeah. They're on David Letterman. They're probably going to be on Good Morning America tomorrow morning because that's in New York, too. And <laughs> yeah. sure enough, it's a concert in the park, you know, blah, blah, blah. And all that stuff happens. And they're pushing this one song. It's repetition. It's repetition. Mm-hmm. It's repetition. One song over and over and over and over and over and over and over again. Because yep. you didn't have a choice. Right. As a consumer. So this was an extremely effective way to promote a song. But it's not an exercise in creating traffic, per se, because the traffic is already there. Yeah, we're already watching Good Morning America. We're already watching Letterman. That's right. We're already reading Rolling Stone magazine. Mm -hmm. There's not any other way to get my music information except these magazines and these TV shows. And this is what made them so important Mm -hmm. because there's nothing else going on. We didn't have the Internet. But the traffic was built in. It's very similar to like when I toured. The clubs had traffic. They had a certain amount of traffic. So you got hired to come in as a AAA artist. They expected that you were going to be good. Your job was to keep that traffic there. Mm -hmm. And if you did really well and people just flocked to see the band and they stopped playing pool and they stopped doing all the other things that were going on in that club – then you had some leverage, you could up your money, and you would start to sell the place out. Mm-hmm. But they primed the pump for you because the audience was already there. Yeah. And the audience was captive. And the artists were just trying to tap into that audience. And then just think about the scarcity of everything. When you did TV back in the 70s, there's three shows. Yeah. Three channels, excuse me. Three networks. That's it. So basically three shows you could be on at any given time. Yeah, and you're going to be in front of a massive audience, right? Mm-hmm. Like a oh, massive yeah. audience. And how about the music magazines? I just went through a list of music magazines like Rolling Stone, Cream, Spin, Musician, Guitar Player, Modern Drummer, Kerrang, Circus, Mojo, The Source, Vibe, Q Magazine, Downbeat, Rap Pages, NME, Record Collector. These are just a handful of magazines, and just a handful that I read are also pretty genre-specific. There's some overreaching ones like Certainly Rolling Stone and Spin, who kind of worked a lot of different genres, but a lot are very genre specific. Mm -hmm. So there's only so many magazines right now. Keep in mind, it's hard to imagine this without the Internet. But this is where you got the information. Yeah, this is it. 
So these magazines were like super, super important back in the day. Mm-hmm. But now it's different. Brent, this has probably happened even the last week or two. Have you ever had a really cool meme or a really cool video that maybe for whatever reason it was super cool, super interesting, really funny, entertaining somehow that popped up in your feed and you enjoyed it? Yeah. Okay. Now, maybe it popped up in your feed again and you enjoyed it like a second time? Maybe? Probably. I'm trying to remember one. Third time it pops into your feed, what do you think? What are they doing to me? Well, you're like, I already saw that. I started to get suspicious. I already saw this movie. Yeah. Right? I know how this ends, so you're not going to waste your time on it. Exactly. Yeah, I'm not clicking on it again. I'm busy. So there is kind of a real microcosm of what happens in the digital world because what's different is the consumer gets to decide. Mm -hmm. So you don't have the luxury of pounding a single over and over and over and over and over and over into the heads of the market. Because even if you have the world's coolest video with the world's greatest song, they would have heard it once. Maybe they're going to listen to it twice. Mm -hmm. And then they're like, I already saw that. But here's the mathematical disparity, right? It takes seven times for somebody to hear a song. And this is your average music listener, your average Mm -hmm. consumer, not a musician. Musicians can get in right away. It's like three-dimensional for them. Right. And you have the curse of knowledge. But a consumer, the first time they hear a debut single from a debut artist is usually the seventh. They're not even like, oh, I know exactly that's this song by this artist and they're from here. They just know to recognize it more. All of a sudden, their brain tells them to pay attention to it after the seventh spin. Yeah, it's crazy. So that conscious relationship begins to happen after the seventh spin. Well, if they're shaking you off on digital after the third spin, Mm -hmm. that's a problem, right? That is. You see where I'm going with this? Psychologically, your single approach strategy, if your strategy is to release a single and see what happens, you have already lost, save your money. Yeah. Save your money and rethink this because I can tell you exactly how it's going to turn out. I don't care how good the song is. And I could probably show you a thousand songs that are maybe 10% of the quality of your song and your recording that have done a lot better. And you're going to be scratching your head and banging it against the wall. But they did a different strategy and that's why they're doing better. Mm -hmm. So let that sink in. But today, if you're brand new out of the box and artist, you get to cover a Rolling Stone, you'll be forgotten by next week. Yeah. Because I got so many other things coming at me on digital, on Facebook, on Instagram, a thousand TV shows. Mm -hmm. Even the broadcast platform has gotten so diluted, Mm -hmm. right? We used to have Battle of the Network Stars because there was three networks and they had maybe two stars each night in prime time. So that's a handful of stars for each network. And they used to have this Olympics. The younger people don't know about this. (laughs) This is a big deal on TV. Like I love Robert Conrad, man. He was the wild, (laughs) wild west and blah, 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 sheep and just a total badass and a competitor. And he was always the de facto leader of the NBC team. But they would do like Olympics running races and tug Mm -hmm. of war and all these different kinds of things but the thing is you knew who each one of those stars were yeah you absolutely knew who they were because there were so few of them Mm -hmm. and now you can be a huge star the number one person on a massive hit tv show and i probably wouldn't know who you were oh yeah i mean now just look at dancing with the stars right that's kind of a huge somewhat of a yeah it's a huge show carol baskin's on that i have not seen one second of tiger king and i wouldn't know if i saw her 
Because I've seen her. I saw her on a <laughs> yeah. promo for it, and I can't remember what she looks like. Yeah. And that was a big show, big enough. At least they were like, hey, let's try and get this person. There's so many people on those celeb shows. There are just a few people that everybody knows. It's like, yeah, we still don't know. Huge show. Eh, I have no idea who she is. First of all, hello, Pantheon Podcast listeners. Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house. And my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once. New quick charge function, three customizable sound styles plus awareness mode, available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind, and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right. You'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Oh, that's frightening. That I haven't seen it or that she's on the show? No, that she's on the show because right. I was forced by my ex to watch that show. <laughs> and after three episodes, I swear to God, Brent, I was dumber. I, I got dumber <laughs> watching that show and I couldn't take it anymore. It was like, yeah. you're, you're robbing my intellect. I can't watch this anymore. Not even like a traffic accident. It was scaring the crap out of me. I'm like, I got to stop this. It was just creepy as all get out. I can't even tell you. And they're all terrible. All of and them. And this is coming from a guy that was on an episode of Blind Date. So, yeah. you know. <laughs> okay. My threshold and level of tolerance for shenanigans is high. I promise you, it's really hard to blow my mind about anything. But the level of stupidity of that show and the shallowness of the gene pool of all those characters is breathtaking. I felt like literally it was coming out of the TV and trying to grab my soul and I couldn't watch it anymore. <laughs> anyway, I digress. Yeah. The old way of releasing a single and pounding that song in there resulted in record sales, resulted in ticket sales, resulted in market recognition where an artist could launch. Mm -hmm. Forced familiarity. Yeah. yeah. Let's go down that road. That's really good because the audience was captive. They didn't have anything else to listen to. Mm -hmm. well, they didn't have another place to turn. They have to go here. And so they were exposed to stuff enough that, yeah, it became familiar. But they're a captive audience. They mm -hmm. didn't have a choice or much of a choice. Now it's nothing but choice. Mm -hmm. So that strategy has to die. It has to die. It doesn't work. Brent, I've often thought, like, I wonder what would happen if you released the same song five different times in a row on social media with a new video. Hmm. 
And just treat it like a brand new single? Hey, my new single's out? Yeah, because now I'm going to give you something new to take care of your short attention span theater, but you're going to listen to that same song again to see if I can get to that seven spins on digital. <laughs> you see where I'm going? Like, this is deep psychological stuff, man. Yeah. But the focus has to be on traffic, driving traffic. And the more traffic that you can create, then the more you're going to get paid. But don't we create the traffic with the single? Well, yes, but not enough, right? It's a flash in the pan. So it's not a single. It's a series of singles. It has to be a series. Yeah. So that's a conversation I had with this artist. And I had another one with a dear friend of mine who's working with a killer artist. This guy's got endorsement money from Ford. Hmm. He's closely attached to the new Mustang ads that are coming out. Ford let him take a picture with, I think this is like a $150,000 Mustang or something that they're coming out with. And that's part of his promo stuff. Ford drove it down on a carrier truck just to be in this picture and drove it back. This guy's got ties. They're trying to figure out how to spend money. And I'm on my knees with my best friend going, please stop thinking about the single. (laughs) Yeah. We have to think about a series and they're suffering because it's that culture change. I don't understand how this turns into record sales. It doesn't turn into record sales. Stop thinking about it that way. Mm-hmm. The outcome is different. The money comes from a different place. Traffic is what you want to look for. So what do I mean by that? First of all, traffic requires consistency, therefore a series. So I told him, and I told this artist I talked to yesterday, I was like, think about this and make sure whatever budget you have, whatever that budget is, that you're spreading it out over at least three or four releases in a matter of three or four months mm-hmm. of time. And each one of those releases has to have a video. Mm-hmm. Now, again, on that note, what does an artist think about? They're like, well, I can't afford to go do a big video for four times in four months. That's a big expense. And see, already, what are you thinking about right there? You're confusing a single release, mm-hmm. which is going to last six months to a year where you can afford to maybe spend a little bit more money on a video because MTV was one of the only outlets or VH1 or BET mm-hmm. or CMT. These are one of the only outlets people can get that. And so it was so much more important and so much more valuable and we get so much more exposure. You could afford to spend that money where it would have an impact that would warrant spending more money. Yeah. But we've talked about the chain smokers before. Some of their biggest videos cost them nothing. Yeah. Just be creative artists. You're an artist, right? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. You're a creative, right? Do artists still do videos? (laughs) I think I've seen one or two, but I mean, do people watch them anymore? I don't know. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They do. I mean, they obviously put out video content, but not the big event videos like, oh my gosh, this is a new Garth Brooks video. Have you seen that with the kid in the Special Olympics? And There it is. Stuff catches on fire. And the. You just touched it right on the nose there. It's not as big of an event as it used to be, but it's still mission critical. Yes. But you can't think about it the way that you would think about a single video. It used okay? to be like the video could be like a home run or a grand slam. Now it's like base hits and it's money ball. It's keeping you moving around the bases. The power of one video. Guns N' Roses is about to be dropped from the label. The record's a stiff, Appetite mm-hmm. for Destruction. They've sold maybe 60,000 copies at best over the course of one year. They haven't gotten on radio. They haven't gotten on TV. And then one phone call is made, a palm is greased, and they're like, put Welcome to the Jungle on MTV. And so they acquiesced. And did they put it on at a great time? No. Three o'clock in the morning on a Saturday. But the audience was so big. 
that there was millions of people watching that because it really was Sunday morning, right? So late night yeah. Saturday. And the phones lit up enough that MTV was like, well, we should probably play this again. And so then they did a, a few more times. Then it makes it into regular rotation. Mm -hmm. Then all of a sudden the radio stations followed suit across the country. And then it went from just about to be dropped, complete failure to the best freaking <laughs> selling debut release in the history of the record industry, 30 million copies. Okay. That was the power of a music video back then. It's still powerful now. It's still absolutely needed, but it has to be a bunch of them. You have to plan for a series of content. You see the chain smokers honoring this release strategy, directly defying the record label that signed them. But the chain smokers broke on digital. They broke with selfie and they didn't have a record deal. Mm -hmm. Okay. So they had this huge runaway viral hit. All the record labels want to sign them. They're talking about all these different deals, but they weren't looking for the most money. They were looking for who's going to play in the sandbox with us the most mm -hmm. and give us the most latitude. Because if we try to jump into a label where they think they're going to tell us what to do, we already know we're going to lose. Yeah. Because they don't understand this platform. Because you still see the record industry doing this single stuff. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Until it changes and until your focus changes and you focus on the traffic, then you're not going to get ahead of this. So put out one single to see how it goes. Don't worry about it. It's not going to help. If everything goes great on the first single, you need to follow it up immediately with something else. Mm -hmm. right behind it and yeah. then something else behind that because what are you trying to do you're trying to get to that familiarity part that means having a great single on digital means a bunch of people heard it once yeah or twice it doesn't mean that you got 40 spins a week in a market that has no other choice but to listen to you for four months it doesn't mean you have fans the math is different yes it doesn't mean you have fans that's the perfect way to say that so plan on a four-month, four-single release. Four pieces of content have to go, boom, boom, boom. Four videos have to be attached to that content. And you have to look at your video and think, okay, what is going to make me want to watch this if I don't know who I am, right? What mm -hmm. would you want to watch? It has to be somehow entertaining as much as you can be. One or more of these pieces of content in this four release series can be a cover song or a mashup because that would make me want to watch it right there. Mm -hmm. That's clickbait, right? That'll get some attention. Yeah. And it all has to be consistent, but this creates traffic and more consistent traffic. But what happens with traffic? So Brent, why does a commercial cost more on the Super Bowl than it does on a regular season NFL game? Because people are watching. You have a lot more attention. People tune into the Super Bowl only for the ads. Some people. So a lot more attention. That's a byproduct of the fact that during the regular course of the season, you've got 15 games going on mm -hmm. over the course of a day. So those audiences are all fragmented, but the Super Bowl is the big, big daddy, right? And so all the NFL fans are watching the Super Bowl. And because the audience is so much larger, they charge more money because they have a bigger audience. It's still a football game. Yeah. It's two teams. You got a halftime show, but it's two teams. But why is this more pricey than the other ones by a factor of God knows how much? The attention. It's because there's way more eyeballs on it. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to get to the value bomb here very shortly. So hang on here. So let's just talk about the difference in attention with respect to the football analogy we just gave. Let's talk about a viral video. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about a video that gets 20 million video views. 
And let's talk about the difference in money that the video can make depending on where it was sourced from. Because artists want that viral video, right? They know enough to know, like, I, want, I wish this could go viral. This would yeah. be great. It's like having a hit. Yeah, I want this to go viral for you too. But think about this. If you're a brand new artist and you're the greatest artist in the world with the best song in the world, best recording, everything's awesome, and you start up a YouTube channel, brand new YouTube channel, and you put one video up there and your first video goes viral and it gets 20 million views, mm-hmm. you're going to make some money. Yeah. By accident, you're going to make about two to $3,000 per million. Okay. So that's going to be about forty to 60000 bucks that you're going to make because of the sheer amount of traffic that the video created. Now, if you're an artist that already has traffic, consistent traffic, and you have, let's say, four or 500,000 subscribers on your YouTube channel, and you have a history of videos that no matter which video you put up, you're getting a million or two million hits. And then that same viral video, same 20 million views happens on that channel Mm -hmm. well you're going to have all these branding collaborations at that point and Mm -hmm. you're going to be able to make that video worth 20 to fifty thousand dollars per million views that's a big difference that's 10 times the amount of money for the same amount of traffic Mm -hmm. why the difference is same video we got more consistent traffic because we can prove, like the Super Bowl, that we have consistent audiences, mm-hmm. you're going to pay more if you want to put your ad on my channel. Yeah, you're building leverage. You're building leverage. You're creating leverage in the music business. Creating leverage in the music. God, that we should make a we should, we should That should be a thing. That's a thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so this is, we're going to talk about thinking about this differently. How can you, as an artist, pivot to make this happen. I will tell you that here's how I pivoted from being an artist. When I toured with my hair band, I told you that the clubs had the traffic, right? Mm Kind of no different than when everybody was listening to the radio, right? Radio had the traffic. You got to figure out a way to penetrate that audience. But if you can get in front of that audience and do your thing, you're off to the races. You're going to make some money and and have some success. Mm -hmm. That was the way the club scene worked. But then the whole hairband thing dies. I moved from Florida to LA. Mm-hmm. LA's pay to play. You got this weird situation where the most famous clubs that you heard about, you know, the Whiskey A Go Go, the Viper Room, the Roxy, the Troubadour, it's pay to play. And so there's these half hour sets. You got to go sell tickets to get people there. And what was strange was the club wasn't the scene, the artist was the scene, but there's six or seven or eight artists over the course of an evening. Mm-hmm. So you might be in the Viper room and there's some band in there. And by the way, it has to do with their hustle for getting fans in. It didn't have to do with the quality of the music. Yeah. If you've got a club that has like 3,000 people there, let's say the Button South in Florida, which we used to dominate, you're not going to get in there as a crappy band. <laughs> yeah. The level is higher. The bar is high. You have to be good. And you have to come in through a booking agency. And they're going to be like, yeah, these guys are killer. And then you go in and you prove to them that you are the level that they expect because they've got a regular audience of 3,000 people that need to be entertained. Mm -hmm. And if you can do that, then you're going to get plugged in and that's going to become a regular haunt for you. But that's not what's happening here at the Viper Room, right? It's like whoever can sell tickets gets a slot. Mm -hmm. You've got these horrendous bands that just have (laughs) enough friends and family that are going to show up and play. And the Viper room's easy to, you know, it's like 75 people. It's packed. 
Yeah. You know, but you'd have this weird thing where, first of all, the bands don't have to be good. You might catch a good band, but you're going to catch a lot of crap mm-hmm. because it's just about who's willing to take the risk and say, I can buy these tickets because they give you the tickets, but you've got to turn in the money for the tickets. So you're paying to play that club. Yeah. And then everybody is there for that band and the band's done. And that's a ghost town five yeah. minutes later. It's the strangest thing. So what do we do to pivot? We got a conglomerate of a bunch of bands that had some traffic together and went to a club owner and put this package and sold it as a package. And all the bands sort of had solidarity amongst one another Mm -hmm. and said, "Okay, we're going to tell our fans not to leave. (laughs) Yeah, this is about creating this really cool event. We had like a step and repeat, which is show business terms for red carpet, you know, with the backdrop, mm-hmm. a couple of photographers there. And we turned it into an event. People showed up. It was this big deal. But the crowd hung out the whole night. And man, the vibe was just so much nicer. Yeah. Because of the traffic. And so this was a way that we found to succeed in a pay to play environment, which is totally different approach and strategy than what we would do when we had to work with this other. And by the way, unlike walking into the Viper Room or the Whiskey on any random night where it's pay to play and you're going to see a bunch of crap, mm-hmm. think about how the quality of the work was different than you going into any one of the clubs back in the 80s or early 90s where they were AAA clubs with AAA bands. And you're going to love or hate the band based on your taste, but they were competitive as all get out. Yeah, they're good at what they do, whether or not you like it. Yeah, they're professional. So here's what I'm thinking about. Here's the value bomb. You ready for this? Yes. I'm thinking about scenes that happen in the music industry. I'm thinking about subgenres that are created in the music industry, like bro country Mm -hmm. or pop country or alt country or Texas red dirt, Texas red dirt. Right. So I've got an intern that is very dialed into the hip hop community and I'm learning about punk rap and I'm learning about these subgenres of rap music. Mm -hmm. So back to this YouTube situation, here's Mm -hmm. the value bomb. American Songwriter Magazine kind of helped me connect some dots on this. Okay. Just by what they did with our podcast and creating this podcast network that we're so proud to be on because we're doing really well in our podcast was serving our purposes for the last four and a half years or we wouldn't be doing it. That's right. And we work real hard at it and we're real proud of what we've done. And we had a really good amount of traffic, but it wasn't enough traffic to get on the radar screen of a random advertiser or a random sponsor Mm -hmm. to monetize it for us. We had enough to certainly be sexy. Let's say if we had a relationship with an advertiser or a sponsor, Mm -hmm. but for somebody else to say, okay, that's enough numbers. I'm going to, put some commercials on and this is what will pay you. Yeah. Right. Probably needed double the amount of traffic to do that. Mm -hmm. So we were established, but not big enough to be Joe Rogan or anything. Right. Right. Yeah. Obviously that's the rock star of it all. But the American songwriter magazine comes in and creates this network of 15 different podcasts that all have the same verticals, right? There's three verticals. It's, Music business, it's songwriting and any kind of production or engineering. Mm -hmm. If the content in the podcast is about that and you have an audience of some sort, Mm -hmm. then this fits because it helps us with our readership, right? With the people who come to this magazine with our brand, Uh it provides value to them. But by putting all of those together, it doesn't matter what each individual traffic is for each individual podcast together. 
this is very sexy to advertisers, isn't it? Oh, yeah. We've grown the podcast listenership to what we've grown it to completely organically. Yeah. We worked our butts off, but we paid nothing. Mm-hmm. It's worth the paid traffic. We earn the traffic. And not yeah. that there's a difference. I like both. But my point is just that we didn't do any advertising for this, okay? Mm-hmm. So in order for us to break beyond the point that we wanted to break, we were coming to the point very quickly prior to this podcast network where we're going to need to advertise to grow it. But together, boom, just like that, we're sexy and we can monetize. Mm -hmm. We can monetize on the traffic that we have because as a whole, there's enough traffic there that sponsors will come in and pay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So – Imagine the Seattle scene, let's just say, because that's a very distinctive scene. A lot of people know, you know, that's Nirvana, that's Soundgarden, mm, that's Pearl Jam. and Yeah. So these are big bands that came out of there. A very distinctive sound, very much of a departure from what was happening on the radio at the time. Imagine if we're back in that in the early 90s when that started popping off and there was YouTube back then. Mm-hmm. Here's the value bomb. What's to stop? a bunch of established artists in that scene that aren't on the national stage whatsoever, but have some kind of a following, that have some kind of traffic that's happening. What's to stop them from getting together and creating a YouTube channel Mm -hmm. where they're telling all their fans and only releasing their music on that YouTube channel instead of their own YouTube channels, Mm -hmm. just on that YouTube channel for the purposes of saying, okay, If we're having like five releases a month from five different artists, and Mm -hmm. maybe this is a group of 10 or 15 artists in a scene, and it's easier to be consistent, Mm -hmm. and then it's easier to build up that traffic. And if you can build up the regular traffic, so all of a sudden the rising tide floats all the boats. Mm -hmm. But what if you could monetize the traffic that you're getting by being a co-op together? Yeah, it just makes sense. You see where my brain's going with this? I mean, this is not a single release. That's a different way to think about, okay, how can we get some cash flow going? Mm -hmm. I think you're going to run into some problems with artists while saying, well, if it's not on my channel, then I don't like that. But it's still your video. Right. Your artist's brand name on it. And if you can get more traffic by being in a group setting, like the Seattle Scene Channel Mm -hmm. for YouTube, or the punk rap channel for Nashville, or worldwide punk rap. This punk rap thing Mm -hmm. is, I don't have any idea what I'm talking about with this, but (laughs) there's some labels that are just quietly behind it now, a couple artists, but it hasn't burst through into the mainstream yet, but I think they're planning on it, Mm -hmm. right? To be a player in that and to be able to create that audience, it's kind of like what we did in LA with the pay for play thing. You know what I mean? It's just a way to create more of a scene, more attention, to be a part of something, to take the traffic that you're getting now and get paid for it if you're build it up enough, if somebody's a foster of that. Mm-hmm. And if nobody's getting paid, here's another business value bomb, right? If nobody's getting paid because they all don't have big enough audiences to get paid from the traffic that's worth anything, but they all come together, and this is going to require a business brain, but if somebody can be, the, and I think about doing this my damn self, but <laughs> if somebody can be the business brain and say, okay, we're going to build this to the point where we're able to monetize on this channel and get subscriberships, and that stuff happens. You get 10, 20,000, 30,000 subscribers, you're going to start to turn some eyeballs. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then we all agree to split the revenue, right? Mm-hmm. So the channel gets 50% of everything. Mm-hmm. And then each of the artists 
their take is just based on the traffic, right? It's like a per view basis. So we generated this amount of money this month and we had this amount of views mm-hmm. this month. And so if you're an artist that got 10% of those views, then you're going to get 10% of that. So it's all based on merit. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. But the understanding that the channel that gets 10%, all that does is dump it back into promotion. Yeah. To digital ads, to growing this thing, to making it happen. So to me, now you're going to have a lot of artists that are worrying about the percentages, yeah. right? They're mm-hmm. going to be like, well, I can't give away 50% of that. That's too much. And it's like, dude, you're making nothing right now in this video. Right. Yeah get together with a bunch of other artists and create some cash flow. Just look at that as a bonus. And what an amazing way to get clusters of artists in different genres and subgenres to get together to more quickly reach a level of monetization. It makes you more discoverable. And it creates a scene. Mm-hmm. What is this scene? What is going on here? Why is there 15,000 subscribers on this channel, even at a small level? And all these different artists are good. Yeah. Right. They're good. Like you can't buy your way into it. Yeah, it's curated. And it's not a playlist. It's like a video channel. You could do it on Facebook too. Mm -hmm. A lot less expensively and still monetize now because of the new video platform. I mean, this is the crap that keeps me up at night, guys. So listen, that's all I had to say about that. That brings us to the end of another Killer Climb episode. We are available for consultation. If there's something that we can help you with to strategize, then reach out to info at daredevilproduction.com and put consultation in the subject line. We'll set something up. And if you have downloaded the free informational PDF, 21 Biggest Reasons You Don't Have More Fans and How to Fix That, it's free to you. Go to giftfromjohnny.com, J-O-H-N-N-Y, giftfromjohnny.com, and put – no, it's, it's just a download. You get it for free. You don't have to put anything in. It's not an email. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, guys, subscribe to the podcast, join the climb community, tell a friend about it, leave a rating and review. This podcast exists because we want you to win. So keep on climbing. And we'll see you at the top. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. Fantasy Points.